Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Police in San Francisco will now be allowed to deploy potentially lethal, remote-controlled robots in emergency situations. The controversial policy was approved after weeks of scrutiny and a heated debate among the city's board of supervisors during their meeting on Tuesday. Police oversight groups, the ACLU and San Francisco's public defender, had urged the 11-member body to reject the police's use of equipment proposal. Opponents of the policy said it would lead to further militarization of a police force already too aggressive with underserved communities. How about we just say already too aggressive, period. They said the parameters under which use would be allowed were too vague. Supporters argued that having these robots as an option in dangerous situations was necessary, given what they see as an ever-increasing risk of a high-profile shooting in the city. The policy was approved with an amendment that specifies the circumstances in which the robots can be used and clarifying that only high-ranking officers will be allowed to authorize deadly force. I'm surprised that we're here in 2022, said Hillary Ronan, who's one of the supervisors at Tuesday's meeting. We have seen a history of these leading to tragedy and destruction all over the world. She was one of only three people on the board who voted against allowing the robots. The San Francisco Police Department said that it had owned and used robots for tasks such as serving warrants for 11 years, and that the department did not have pre-armed robots and had no plans to arm guns, robots with guns. But the department could deploy robots equipped with explosive charges in specific situations such as active shooter incidents and suicide bombers, said David Lazar, San Francisco's assistant police chief. We have it as a tool we can use if we have time, have secured the scene, and we weigh out if we want to risk lives or if we can send a robot, said Lazar during the Board of Supervisors meeting. The proposed policy does not lay out specifics for how the weapons can and cannot be equipped, leaving open the option to arm them. Robots will only be used as a deadly force option when the risk of loss of life to members or the public or officers is imminent and outweighs any other force option available to SFPD. Yeah, so I feel like people probably need to watch iRobot And what is the hackability of these devices? Like, I get that they're saying, oh, we'd never deploy these unless the situation was really necessary. But did y'all forget how necessary they found it to be to drag kids out of restaurants, chase lone runners on the beach, and remove people from grocery stores if they weren't wearing masks? And now you're giving them robots that could be equipped with any such manner of weapon to use against the citizenry. Who writes the code? Who gets to wield the joystick? What level of obedience does one submit to a hunk of metal? The militarization of our police department is not the answer 
to respecting the civil liberties of Americans. Okay, so I apologize. I am drinking and I have a cough drop in my mouth, but I'm definitely losing my voice, so I'm doing my very best. Um, This next story is super weird. President Joe Biden's rented Secret Service vehicles burst into flames in a parking lot on Monday, just one day after he left his Nantucket vacation. Biden spent Thanksgiving on the ritzy Massachusetts island with his family last week. The Secret Service rented five vehicles from Hertz to carry the president and his family, and all five of them caught fire in the parking lot, according to footage first obtained by the Nantucket Current. Footage shows firefighters spraying down the smoldering remains of one vehicle's engine block. The five vehicles included a Chevy Suburban, a Ford Explorer, an Infiniti QX80, a Ford Expedition, and a Jeep Gladiator. The vehicles were parked at the Nantucket Airport, and the blaze reportedly spread to just 40 feet away from the facility's jet fuel tanks. It's currently unknown what caused the fire. At approximately 5.22 a.m., airport shift staff observed an active fire in the rental car overflow area through the airport's closed-circuit television system. The airport said in a statement to the current, staff activated the alert system and responded to the fire in Airport 3, where they were met by responding units from the Nantucket Fire Department and Nantucket Police Department. Combined fire resources responded and contained the fire. Several vehicles were damaged. Questions that I have at this point include, how many is several? Is this like 20 cars caught fire and these five just so happened to have been included? Or are we saying that only these five caught fire and a few around those vehicles got secondary damage? Is this an assassination attempt that failed but succeeded later? I mean, not succeeded as an assassination, but like the vehicle's destruction. Why isn't this a top story? The airport is currently coordinating with rental car agencies and agency partners to ensure scene safety. There is no longer an active fire at this time. The airport is open. Operations are not affected. Biden spent the Nantucket weekend celebrating the holiday with his family, telling reporters they're not having any discussions about a potential presidential run in 2024. The Senate passed bipartisan legislation yesterday to protect same-sex marriages, an extraordinary sign of shifting national politics on the issue and a measure of relief for the hundreds of thousands of same-sex couples who have married since the Supreme Court's 2015 decision that legalized gay marriage nationwide. The bill, which would ensure that same-sex and interracial marriages are enshrined in federal law, was approved 61 to 36 on Tuesday, including support from 12 Republicans. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the legislation was a long time coming and part of America's difficult but inexorable march towards greater equality. Democrats are moving quickly, while the party still holds the majority in both chambers of Congress. The legislation now moves to the House for a final vote. President Biden praised the bipartisan vote and said he will sign the bill promptly and proudly if it is passed by the House. He said it will ensure 
that the LGBTQ youth will grow up knowing that they too can lead full, happy lives and build families of their own. The legislation would not force any state to allow same-sex couples to marry, but it would require states to recognize all marriages that were legal where they were performed and protect current same-sex unions. If the court's 2015 Obergefell v. Hodges decision were ever to be overturned. It is a stunning bipartisan endorsement and evidence of societal change after years of bitter divisiveness on the issue. Newsflash, there has not been years of bitter divisiveness that wasn't manufactured. A new law protecting same-sex marriages would also be a major victory for Democrats as they relinquish their two years of consolidated power in Washington, and a massive win for advocates who have been pushing for decades for federal legislation. It comes as the LGBTQ community has faced violent attacks, such as the shooting last weekend at a gay nightclub in Colorado that killed five people and injured at least 17. Let us not forget that according to court filings, Anderson Aldrich is a non-binary and uses the they-them pronouns and will be addressed as M.X. Aldrich. Passage came after the Senate rejected three Republican amendments to protect the rights of religious institutions and others to still oppose such marriages. Supporters of the legislation argued those amendments were unnecessary because the bill had already been amended to clarify that it does not affect rights of private individuals or businesses that are currently enshrined in law. The bill would also make clear that a marriage is between two people in an effort to ward off some far-right criticism that the legislation could endorse polygamy. Loomis, who is one of the more conservative members of the Senate, spoke ahead of the final vote about her, quote, fairly brutal self-soul-searching before supporting the bill. She said she accepts her church's beliefs that a marriage is between a man and a woman, but noted that the country was founded on the separation of church and state. We do well by taking this step, not embracing or validating each other's devoutly held views, but by the simple act of tolerating them. Baldwin said earlier this month that the newfound openness from many Republicans on the subject reminds her of the arc of the LGBTQ movement to begin with in the early days when people weren't out and people knew gay people by myths and stereotypes. And slowly, laws have followed, she said it's history. When asked by Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey why President Biden would rather let U.S. companies drill for oil in Venezuela than here in the United States, Strategic Communication Coordinator John Kirby defended easing oil sanctions against Venezuela, saying there are plenty of untapped opportunities for companies to drill in the United States, which has some executives who are slamming the administration's completely inaccurate, flat-out lie. We've basically tracked about 125 specific actions that this administration and Democratic Congress have done to slow down or stop oil production here in America. American Energy Alliance President Tom Pyle said on Varney and Company on Tuesday, he has an America last energy policy. On Saturday, the Treasury Department announced its decision to allow California-based Chevron to resume, quote, limited 
energy production in Venezuela after years of sanctions that have dramatically curtailed oil and gas profits that have flowed to Maduro's government. Kirby told Ducey that his framing of the question was not an accurate take on the president's view. To which Ducey retorted, the president himself earlier this month said, there is no more drilling. There are plenty of opportunities for oil and gas companies to drill here in the United States, Kirby said. I'll let Chevron speak for this particular issue of sanctions relief, but our expectation is it won't be a lot of oil coming out of there. It will have to be shipped to the United States. In response, United Refining Company Chairman and CEO John Katsimatidis, holy shit, also told host Ashley Webster on Tuesday that the move makes no sense at all. After noting that Canada has the ability to export an additional 1 million barrels of crude oil per day to the United States, he said, Can anybody figure out why we're giving business to Venezuela, who's associated with China, Russia? Why are we giving them the business and not giving it to Canada? Newsflash, Canada is associated with China as well. Katz Matidis, Matidis, I am butchering this dude's name. I wish you guys could see this on my screen. Also said he was left puzzled by the White House's response to the issue. While Washington needs checks and balances, I hope we have additional checks and balances now that it'll be a Republican Congress at least. Pyle explained why the Biden administration may prefer to get oil from Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela as opposed to Texas, New Mexico, and North Dakota. He simply wants to placate his big donors who don't want to see fossil fuels produced in this country. And meanwhile, we're all hurting and will continue to hurt under these policies. The American Energy Alliance president also warned about the environmental and economic consequences of foreign oil sources. Production in Venezuela has decimated the industry because of Maduro and his socialist policies. They don't produce oil and gas as clean as we do here. Their oil is worse for the environment than our oil. It's not about the climate. It's about an agenda where they don't want these resources in this country. His decision by the Biden administration is the latest step in softening the hostile relations between the United States and the Venezuelan government. Came weeks after a major prison swap, prisoner swap, in which Venezuela freed seven imprisoned Americans in exchange for the U.S. freeing two nephews of Maduro's wife. Maduro released two other Americans in March, but I hope people are paying attention. We have the capability here. We have the resources. We have the companies ready to move and work. We just have an administration that would rather cozy up to fucking communist countries than do what's best for its own citizens. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced that the United States will provide $53 million to help Ukraine acquire equipment to repair and upgrade its energy grid from the sidelines of a meeting of a NATO foreign ministers yesterday. In the midst of Russia's continued brutal attacks against Ukraine's energy infrastructure, Antony Blinken announced today during a meeting of the G7 on the margins of the NATO ministerial in Bucharest that the United States government is providing over $53 million 
to support acquisition of critical electricity grid equipment. The announcement came as NATO leaders gathered a show of solidarity for Ukraine against the ongoing Russian invasion. Other nations pledged to help repair the country's infrastructure and provide additional military aid. NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg accused Russia and President Vladimir Putin of using winter as a weapon of war in his attack on Ukraine's infrastructure, which he said were depriving millions of basic human services. He added that the members of the alliance would stand by Ukraine as long as it takes. Isn't that special? Indefinitely. We will prop up Ukraine indefinitely. We realize that it is extremely important that President Putin is not able to win in Ukraine. That will be a tragedy for Ukraine, but it will also make the world more dangerous and more vulnerable, he said. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Moscow attacks have damaged about 40% of the country's civilian infrastructure, spiraling the country into an energy crisis right at the arrival of the winter season. Gosh, I'm so glad we're here to bail them out. Whatever would they do if they had to handle their shit on their own? And we focused on the American taxpayers. China could have 1,500 nuclear warheads within 13 years, according to a new Pentagon report warning of Beijing's plans to greatly expand its power in the coming decades. In a 196-page report released Tuesday, the Defense Department assessed China's plans to greatly expand its power and could assert even more aggression over self-governing neighbor Taiwan in the next several decades. The report, which is provided annually to Congress, outlines ambitions to realize a great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. By 2049, through economic, military, political, and other means, containment attempts, the People's Republic of China also apparently sees the United States as deploying a whole-of-government effort to contain its rise. Chinese leaders believe that the structural changes in the international system and an increasingly confrontational United States are the root causes of intensifying strategic competition between the PRC and the United States. That was a statement by the Department of Defense. A global network strategy, China is seeking to mold the international order around its principles at the same time it builds up a world-class military with a network spread across the globe. To bolster its national defense, China is on pace to expand its nuclear warhead stockpile from around 400 to 1,500 in 2035. It is expected to complete modernization of its national defense and armed forces by that year. China is also pursuing methods to modernize and diversify its nuclear forces, boosting its infrastructure to increase nuclear arms production, upping the tests. The People's Liberation Army, which is China's military force, launched 135 ballistic missiles in 2021, firing off more tests than the rest of the world combined last year. The DoD also noted that China has increased its aggression over Taiwan and that Beijing has several strategies it could employ against the Democratic Island, including a full-scale amphibious invasion to seize parts 
or all of the island. Taiwan has remained one of the more contentious issues between the U.S. and China, which sees the island as historically part of the mainland. The U.S. government operates under the One China policy, which recognizes Taiwan as part of China, but has informal ties with the country. That last line, it's a doozy, right? Nancy Pelosi just traveled to Taiwan to reinforce our commitment to them. Joe Biden committed to going to war with China on behalf of Taiwan in the event of an invasion. And yet, John Kirby and the -the behind-the-scenes apparatus have been given their red marching orders. One China or suffer the consequences of one of our police stations that we currently have in your country. That is your Wednesday edition of everything yesterday. This morning we have chapters four through six of Speechless by Michael Knowles at Book Club tonight. If you guys would like to join us on Twitter Spaces. Otherwise, I will see you tomorrow. You guys take care. Have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.